Church, we're in our series of knowing God. And do you know there's nothing more important that we could purpose to do in our lives than to know God? And I've entitled today's message, Understanding the Work of Righteousness in Me. Understanding the Work of Righteousness in Me. This is part of our Knowing God series. And I want to begin with our key scripture, Philippians 3.10. And we're reading this in the Passion Translation. Paul wrote, And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. That's going to make more sense today. You'll have more understanding of that today. I will be one with him in his sufferings, and I will be one with him in his death. But Paul said, I continually, this was not here and there occasionally that he would seek to know God, but it was his lifelong purpose and desire was to know God, the wonders of Jesus more fully, and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. Notice this, it is not just that we're seeking to obtain knowledge of God, but we want to experience God. Is that the desire of your heart? Is that you would experience more of God? That he would not just be someone you've heard about, but he's someone you know personally. In fact, a prayer that I prayed on a number of occasions is, Father, I want to know you. I want to know the Lord Jesus. I want to know the Holy Spirit better than I know any human being. And so that, that's a prayer. I want to not just know, but now experience the power of his resurrection working in us. Hallelujah. In other words, the great quest of Paul's life was to know Jesus more intimately. Is that the great quest of your life? Be honest with God. If it's not the great quest of your life today, if there are many things that are, you know, have affection in your heart more than your desire to know God, then you, you can begin to pray, Lord, I realize I have many other interests other than knowing you. There, there are many things I'm seeking more that I'm seeking you. Help me change my heart. And the Holy Spirit will go to work in your heart and bring divine order there. John 17 and verse 3 in the Passion Translation says, Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God. Notice we've got those two words again. Eternal life means 
to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the son whom you have sent. So right where we're seated. Church, would you just lift up your hands? And I want us to offer a prayer based on Philippians 3.10 and John 17.3. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for this congregation that the precious Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, would work a work of repentance in our hearts so that the things of this world which we've been seeking and which have captured our attention would no more have our attention, but you would have our attention. And Father, I pray that the greatest desire in our hearts would be to know you and to experience you. Father, change the desires of our hearts as we humbly submit to you. Would the desire of our hearts become knowing you and experiencing you in this life, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, that is a major shift. It's when you shift, even though you're born again, the things of this world and desires for the things of this world can crowd out the desire to know Jesus to experience him in the power of the Holy Spirit. There can be many things occupying space and demanding attention in our hearts, but we want our hearts to be filled with the knowledge of God and the desire to experience him. May I hear an amen? I've got some thoughts that occurred to me as I was preparing this, this, the importance of the desires of our hearts being centered on knowing God and experiencing him. Some questions came up in my heart. How did, I mean, really, how did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk out of the fiery furnace, which was seven times hotter than any fiery furnace they'd ever thrown people into before. How did they walk out of it, not even smelling like smoke? Church, they knew God. That's how they escaped from the fiery furnace. How did Daniel walk out of the lion's den after spending the night with hungry lions that they had been starving for days and they threw Daniel in that lion's den. How did Daniel walk out without one mark, not one bite, bite mark, not one claw, Nothing. He was absolutely untouched. How did Daniel walk out of the lion's den? Church, Daniel knew God. 
Oh, there are benefits to knowing God. Not only did they know God, they experienced God. Now, how did Paul survive being flogged five times by the Jews? What, what is that? That's 39 stripes that the Jews gave Paul on his back. Five times he survived that. He survived shipwreck. He survived going without food. He survived being bitten by a viper. And they were standing there waiting for him to fall dead. Paul not only knew God, church, Paul experienced God in the power of his resurrection. May I hear an amen. Church, there are so many benefits, untold benefits, life-changing benefits to knowing God and experiencing Him. May I hear an amen. Paul lived to know God. He lived to do the will of God. He lived to uh, experience God's resurrection power. He lived to be conformed to God. What does it mean to be conformed to God? It means by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that clearly today. The Holy Spirit transforms us on the inside to become more and more like Jesus. This does not happen just because you're born again, but we are transformed to become more like Jesus by the work of the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. You and I can also experience that. When we come to our last day on earth, we should not even resemble the person we were the day we got born again. I've got a question. Why? Because we're experiencing a daily experience. And sometimes there are great experiences of transformation. That is the resurrection power of God working in us. I want to ask you as you're sitting there today, is there anyone who can honestly say, today I am not the same person that I was the day I was born again. I can tell you I can raise my hand on that one. I am not the same person I was on the day I was born again. How has that happened? It's the resurrection power of God working in your life and in my life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I didn't give you girls this one, but he said, I die daily. I, selfish me, self-centered me, want my own way me, I die daily. And church, that's how we are transformed. May I hear an amen. How did Paul, the persecutor, he was the great persecutor of the early church. His name was Saul then. How did he become Paul? The great apostle Paul who was used so mightily by 
the Father. Well, here's the key. He submitted to the great work the Holy Spirit has come to do. The Holy Spirit has come, and He lives on the inside of us. If we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we can speak with other tongues, but He didn't just come for us to speak in other tongues, church. He came to transform us that we might experience the life-transforming power of God. God sent the Holy Spirit to work in Paul's life, But not just Paul's life, Saul, who became Paul, but to work in Elder Francis' life and Deacon Duncan and Deacon Daniel and so on and so forth in my life and in your life, transforming us by the resurrection power of God. He transforms our character and our way of living. Church, how significant is this? That by the end of your life, you will be nothing like the person you were on the day you were born again. Can everybody just raise your hands and say hallelujah? Hallelujah. We're not going to be the same as we know God and experience His life-transforming power. Do you know living in that supernatural realm of experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit should be natural to the believer? See, it should be natural for us to live in the supernatural. Transform your thinking. It should be natural for us to live as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be natural for us to live in the supernatural power of God. Living in the supernatural realm. John 16 and verse 8 is another key scripture. It's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit when he comes. What does the Holy Spirit want to do in your life and in my life? We need to understand this work. John 16, 8 says, And when he, the Holy Spirit I'm talking about, has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, And of judgment. And of course, that word convict means expose. It means bring to light. In other words, cause us to know and understand. And it means to convince. Church, I want to talk a little bit about sin this morning. You know, uh, sin is not a delicious word on my tongue. There's some more. I'd rather, much rather talk about love or, and so forth. However, we need to understand this word sin. Sin is lawlessness. It is lawlessness. It is disobedience. Sin means to go astray. In other words, God has a path 
of righteousness for each and every believer to walk in, but one whose sins goes astray from the path of righteousness. And the literal meaning of the word sin is to miss the mark. Miss the mark. When you miss the mark, you're disqualified. You know, when races were famous for running in Kenya, and you know, they have the mark or the starting point. And when a race is being won, run, do they say in Kenya, get on your mark? When they shoot the gun, what happens if you're not on your mark? What happens? You're disqualified. So sin is to miss the mark. Sin means we are not conformed to God's character. We're not being conformed. We're living in the flesh. We're living lawlessly. We're, live, we're doing what's right in our own sight. So it's a lack of conformity to God's character and his word. We're not living. Sin means we're not living in obedience to the word of God. We're just doing what's right in our own sight. And church, that's the way the world lives. And this tells us why it's so important that we know Jesus, we know the Father, we know the Holy Spirit, is because otherwise we won't understand what's right and what is wrong. But sin is lawlessness. Church sin is doing evil. And let me add another aspect to that. This is very important for believers to understand. Sin is a failure to do good. It is not only doing evil, it is a failure to do good. Hallelujah. God did not create man to sin. In fact, in the garden, when he was creating the garden and creating Adam and Eve, he looked, when he had finished, he looked at all his creation and he said, this is very good. Everyone say, very good. What God created, he, he pronounced over it, this is very good. But do you know something about sin? It is very bad. Sin is very bad. It's damaging. Sin is destructive. I feel like we need to understand some things about sin. Choosing to sin is choosing to be destroyed. Oh, it may not happen in one day or one week, but the wages of sin is death. One of the meanings of death is destruction. So when we choose ways that are unrighteous, that are sinful, we are choosing the ways of destruction. 
Everything God intended for us was good. In his original creation, there was no evil. There was no disorder. There was no chaos. Church, there were no wars. There was no fighting. There was no conflict. There was no pain, no killing, no stealing, no discord, no strife, no disease, no decay, no infirmity, and no death. How then did sin enter our lives? This is very important. If you understand this, then you will understand many things that are confusing to people. Now, you may ask, Pastor Carla, do you really believe God created Adam and Eve? And, you know, scientists tell us there was a big bang. And church, I think the big bang theory and that amoebas crawled out of the ocean I look at the world, I look at the universe, and only a creator could have created the universe. Only a creator, a loving creator, could have created our world. And when he originally created it, there was no evil in it. There was no pain, there was no poverty And there was no death. I think that's so important to understand. Let's go to Genesis 3 and verses 1 through 7. This is a bit of scripture, but follow me. We're going to be reading in the New Living Translation. It says, now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord God had made. Really? Now, is that? No, I've got down here. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Of course, God did not say that. He just simply told them not to eat of it. So she added, she kind of added to that. Then now here's the serpent. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. In other words, what the serpent did was deceive Eve that God was withholding something good from them. And that, so she felt like, well, I want to know uh, more than I know now. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Church, notice this is the first act of disobedience or sin that mankind had ever participated. Our 
forefathers, all of us are descended way back down through the generations. All of us have Adam and Eve as our ancestors. And so she uh, ate of the forbidden fruit. God had said, don't eat of this tree. And they ate of it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Look at verse seven, what happened? At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Church, prior to that moment, when they were in right standing with God before they sinned, Adam and Eve were clothed in the glory of God. They weren't aware. They fell from that glorious state of knowing God, of walking with Him, of being in perfect fellowship with Him. Because of sin, they fell from the glory of God and sin entered the human condition. Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God. They were no longer clothed with God's glory. Church, all brokenness, all suffering, all pain, all discouragement, all sickness and disease, all the curse that eventually came upon man started at this point of sin. I want you to notice the first thing that it says they experienced. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. I want to define shame for you because you're going to see out of this shame comes the broken heartedness of men. Shame is a painful feeling arising from consciousness of dishonor, disgrace, and humiliation. Shame is a painful feeling arising from consciousness of dishonor, disgrace, and humiliation. And out of shame comes condemnation. Out of shame comes all kinds of suffering. Because they dishonored God, they disgraced Him, and it resulted in their humiliation. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Sin entered our world and everything went from being very good to being very bad. And Romans 5.12 in the New Living Translation says, this is so important. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. In other words, Adam and Eve sinned. Our original parents sinned. And that sin 
was passed on. That sin nature. Without the glory of God, church, we have a sin nature that was passed on to their children, their children's children, and so on and so forth. Church, no child is born into this earth uh, born again. You understand what I'm saying? God offers us two births. We're born naturally, and then we're, when we're of the age to understand the distinction between good and evil, we're offered the opportunity to be born again, to be restored to the original righteousness that Adam and Eve knew in the Garden of Eden. God would come down and he would walk with them and talk with them, we're told in the book of Genesis, in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve knew God intimately. And they fell from that intimacy. They fell from righteousness into unrighteousness. Romans 3 and verse 23 in the New Living Translation says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God's standard. What is God's glorious standard? Church, it is righteousness. Righteousness is God's glorious standard. What does that mean? It means being in right relationship with God. Righteousness is being in right relation with God. It is right standing with God. I don't know, there may be someone in your life that does not have, this is not a very good example, but is there someone in your life who has betrayed you, stolen from you, uh, done you wrong? Church, do they have right standing with you? No. Can they just walk into your house like one of your children would walk into your house? No. They don't have that privilege. Why? They're not in right standing with you. Well, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, all the privileges that they had enjoyed, they fell from the glory of God. They no longer had right standing with God. But God's so full of grace and mercy that the book of Genesis tells us he slaughtered an animal and he immediately clothed them with animal skins. Their fig leaves were inadequate. Church, anything we try to do to cover up sin and unrighteousness will be totally inadequate to do it. But God moved immediately to provide some form of covering for them. And it involved the blood of an animal. And he covered them and put them out of the Garden of Eden. God's standard is righteousness. And we are granted the free gift of righteousness when we repent of our sin Ask God to forgive us and receive Jesus Christ into our hearts and lives. Understand this, we are not made righteous by what we do, 
but we are made righteous by what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6, in the New Living Translation, is speaking about every one of us. All of us have strayed away like sheep. Church sheep are dumb. I don't know if you know that. Sheep are dumb. They have no sense. And they have to have a shepherd guiding them, or they'll just walk right off a cliff or just walk straight in to danger. They have no ability to discern danger and protect themselves. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the sins of us all. We cannot produce righteousness on our own. We could not save ourselves. Yet our sin, the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the guilt and sins of us all. This is how the righteousness of God came back into the earth. Through the cross of Calvary, through Jesus Willingly bearing our sins in his body on the cross of Calvary. Paying the full price for you and for me. This was his mission. This was his work on the earth to redeem us, to save us out of our sin. Jesus, the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. And when we repent of our sins and accept what Jesus did for us by faith, listen, we are granted the free gift of righteousness that Adam and Eve knew before they sinned and fell from the glory of God. That righteousness is deposited into our spirits as a free gift as we believe by faith on the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Church, this is basic. Look at Colossians 2 and verse 14. How did this happen? Colossians 2 verse 14 in the New Living Translation, it says, He, God, canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. How did righteousness come to us? All of our sins were nailed to the cross of Calvary. Our sins were removed and put on Jesus. And when we receive Jesus as our Savior, when we repent of our sins and receive Jesus as our Savior, the free gift of righteousness is granted to us by God the Father because of what Jesus did for us. Listen to Romans, listen to Romans 5, 
verses 17 through 18 in the New Living Translation. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness, now notice this, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So notice what happens when we receive the free gift of righteousness, Christ's one act of righteousness makes all people right in God's sight. I must, hmm, new living. This one says, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God. That's number one. And new life for everyone. In other words, righteousness enables us to live a new life in the kingdom of God, blessed with God's blessings, blessed with the power of the Holy Spirit, blessed with his favor, blessed with all the blessings that he originally intended for Adam and Eve to enjoy when they were in the garden of Eden. Church, can you say amen? Here's what happens when the free gift of righteousness is given to you. You come into number one, right relationship with God. Now we can say, Abba, Father. God is my Father. I'm no longer a stranger to God. I've been brought near to him by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Righteousness makes it possible for me to have a right relationship with God. He's no stranger to me now. Church, he was a stranger before. Even though as a little girl, I grew up in church, I did not know God. We were not taught about sin and righteousness. But number two, this free gift of righteousness leads to a new life. <clears throat> a new life in Christ. Now I've been translated into the kingdom of God and I live a new life that is very different from the old life that I lived before I knew Jesus where sin was a common, everyday occurrence. Sin of the heart. Sins of thought. Sins of words. Sins of, of doing. I lived a life of sin. You lived a life of sin. And do you know what was happening? Without the blood of Jesus, the record of our sins, you know, they God does have books. He keeps records. He keeps books on each one of us. Now that we're born again, thank God the books are about the righteous works that we do so that we may one day be rewarded for our righteous living. 
Hallelujah. But before I knew God, before you knew God, it was one sin piled up on top of another sin piled up on top of another sin so that by the time you were an elderly man, an elderly woman, the burden of sin was huge. And, and, and an elderly man or woman who has never been forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, oh my goodness, it may be five or six volumes of books, <laughs> you know, on their unrighteous living. Because whether one goes to heaven or hell, there is uh, the consequences. The consequences of never repenting of your sin is that you will pay for them in eternity in hell. But thank God the consequences of repenting of our sin and receiving Jesus Christ and the free gift of righteousness means we'll spend eternity in the blessed, glorious presence of our Father who is in heaven. So righteousness produces a right relationship with God, and it produces a new life. You cannot receive Jesus and just go on living your old life like nothing has happened to you. No, if you're genuinely born again, there will be changes that begin to take place in your life. So the Holy Spirit has come to convict us of sin, so that we might repent and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and also receive the free gift of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30 in the New Living Translation. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. God has united you with Jesus Christ. Church, when you're born again, you are united with Jesus Christ. We become bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. In the easy-to-read version, let me read this. It is God who has made you part of Jesus Christ, and Christ has become for us wisdom from God. He is the reason we are right with God and pure enough to be in his presence. Christ is the one who set us free from sin. And so we see the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting us of sin, cleansing us of sin as we repent and, and come to God. But I've got a question for you, church. As a believer, do I ever miss it? As a believer, I've received Christ. I've received the free gift of righteousness so I've got this question now. We have to face this. As a believer, can I sin? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. 
Yes, I can sin. It doesn't mean I lose my salvation. Well, Pastor Carla, I thought I was saved and I've been given the free gift of righteousness. Why, why do I sin? Why do I miss it? Because you're three parts. You're a spirit. You have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your thinking, your will, and your emotions. And you live in a flesh body. Church, my body is not, let, let me say this, like Adam and Eve were before they fell from the glory. My body is not covered in glory. Amen. Can you see the outfit I have on? Then I'm not covered in glory. You get to my meaning. So I, I do belong to God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus in my spirit. I'm born again. But my soul isn't saved and my body's not saved. My body is still a body that is made out of the dust of the earth. It is not saved. One day it will be saved. So, but as a believer, I can think the wrong thing. I can say the wrong thing. I can have impure, selfish motives. I may not be very willing to do the will of God in some areas. You know, I've told you a prayer the Lord taught me to pray years ago. Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. But the moment I was praying the prayer, I was not willing. Church, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Yes, but Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. That means the Holy Spirit, I'm giving him permission to work in my will, which is part of my soul. I can miss it. The free gift of righteousness came into my spirit, but my body's not born again, and my soul is not born again. Church, one day a Bible school student asked his teacher, uh, and it was actually a bishop, Bishop, are you saved? And the bishop's response was, well, it depends on what you're talking about. And that's because this word saved has three tenses. Past, present, and future. Here's the truth about salvation. I was saved. Past. Church, I've been saved for some decades now. Past tense. I was saved. But today, present perfect, I am being saved. And in the future, I will be saved. Salvation is not just in the past, but the work of righteousness in the life of the believer continues into the present day. I am being saved today. Hallelujah. And the fact that I'm not perfect doesn't mean I've lost my salvation. It means I'm still being saved today. God's still working in me. My life is still being transformed. The word is still working to renew my mind and transform my life. 
So I was saved. How many of you remember the day you received Jesus? You remember the day you received Jesus? Well, there are a bunch of you in here who are not saved because you didn't raise your hand. I don't think, maybe you didn't understand the question. How many of you remember the day you received Jesus? Lift your hand. All right. So you were saved. That's in the past. You have been saved. You are being saved today. That salvation is still working into me, in me today through the free gift of righteousness. Righteousness is still being worked into my soul and into my body. Are you with me, church? And I will be saved one day by the mercy of God. I will be in heaven with God the Father and God the Son. I will be saved in the future. Salvation is a huge word. Church salvation is a huge word. What does it mean? It means freedom. Salvation means freedom. Salvation means freedom from sin. Let that sink into you. Salvation means freedom from sin. When I talk about the past, I have been saved. I have been, here's what salvation in the past means. I have been set free from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Eternal death. Eternal damnation. Eternal punishment. I have been set free from the penalty of sin. But presently, in my everyday life, I am being set free from the power of sin. I'm still being set free from the power of sin. I've been set free from the penalty. I'm no longer going to hell to be punished for my sins eternally. No, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've been given the free gift of righteousness. But in my everyday living on this life, you see, you've got to have one of these bodies made of dust to be on the earth. I am being saved from the power of sin. How many of you, I want to ask you this question. There are things you used to do after you were born again that today you no longer do. How many of you can say that? See, what does that mean? You're being set free from the power of sin by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit working in you to transform you. This is the work of righteousness because the Holy Spirit only inhabits righteousness. So he comes into our spirit. And if we will humble ourselves and yield our lives to him, he will work the work of righteousness in our everyday living as long as we're on this earth, delivering us 
from the power of sin. And let me say this, you may be doing something today that you know is not good. Church, let me say this. Jesus is not smoking marijuana. Are you with me? But I hear of Christian young people smoking marijuana. You you need to hear this. That means the work of righteousness is very needful for thee. Just like that work of righteousness is very needful for all of us. Doing what? Delivering us from the power of sin. That is what power does it take to deliver us from the power of sin? It takes the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit living within us. And church, as we yield this sin, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now more convicts me of attitudes than anything. You know, no one, Pastor Davies and Tina, have never had to come pull me out of a bar or anything like that. This is one reason uh, we live together is because I don't want a question in anyone's mind where I am or what I'm doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? I just don't want anyone to even take thought of that. Your pastors are living righteously. However, we're not perfect. Do you know the resurrection power of God is still working in me, transforming me more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so, you know, for those smoking marijuana, that, that did not come from heaven. Hallelujah. Or, or, or may I say, uh, other sins of the flesh, lying, gossip, backbiting, murmuring, complaining. I'm telling you, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to deliver, to deliver you of angry, biting words that you put on other people. That takes the power of God to open your eyes to see it and convict you and transform you so that rivers of living water flow out of you. Are you with me, church? And this should be the desire of each and every one of our hearts for rivers of living water to flow out of us. But it takes the resurrection power of God working in us to cleanse us, to deliver us, to convict us of sin. You know, when you're first born again, you, you may say a dirty word every once in a while because in the world you talked really dirty. You've cleaned it up some, but you might get mad and here goes a poop and there goes a, another one. And, and then, you know, it, it may take a while, but it's the resurrection power of God working that free gift of righteousness into our new life in Christ that causes us to be transformed and to become more like him. So I am being saved 
from the power of sin. Salvation is working mightily in us if we will give the Holy Spirit permission to work. And then number three, I will be one day in eternity set free from the presence of sin. That's in the future. Today, while we live upon this earth, we're in the presence of sin. Maybe not the immediate presence, but when you go out there, you're, you may be exposed to many various kinds of sin. In eternity, church, there'll be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sighing, no more tears, no more death, no more destruction. It's all been swallowed up in Christ's victory over Satan, sin, and the kingdom of darkness. So right now, the believer is being set free from the power of sin through the work, the righteous work of the Holy Spirit as we embrace him, as we come to know him, as we welcome the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Church, I want to caution you, don't resist the Holy Spirit. If he wants to deal with you about something, that means he wants to set you free from the power of some sin that is a hindrance in your life. It's causing problems in your life. It's causing trouble in your life. And the Holy Spirit wants to set you free from that sin, embrace him when he wants to work that way so that the Holy Spirit can begin to anoint you and cause you to be fruitful. How do we do that? How do we embrace this resurrection power that I may know him and the power of his resurrection that's talking about the Holy Spirit's power, even to cause that resurrection in our present everyday lives on this earth. The Holy Spirit wants us to experience resurrection power, but it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us, to lead us into one degree of glory and then into the next degree of glory, that's resurrection power. And into the next degree of glory, we have to embrace the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? Let, let me just say a few things and I'm closing. Proverbs 15.9 in the NIV translation says, The Lord detests the way of the wicked. But he loves those who pursue righteousness. So this is number one. This is uh, the heart of the one who will bear much fruit for God is we must pursue righteousness. Everyone say pursue righteousness. Let's say it again. 
Pursue righteousness. See, don't, don't be passive about the things that you're being taught. But rise up and embrace the work of the Holy Spirit, that revelation that the Holy Spirit is pouring out upon us. He loves those who pursue righteousness. In other words, church, God loves everybody. God is love. God loves you today. But when you make up your mind, I'm going to pursue this free gift of righteousness that has been given to me. I want to know more about it, and I'm going to pursue the transforming power of this free gift of righteousness in my life. Now, when it says God loves those who pursue righteousness, that means special favor is poured out upon those who are pursuing the righteousness of God. How many of you want to live your life covered in the favor of God? Lift your hands. Well, here is a major key to having the favor of God on your life is that daily you pursue righteousness. Not just when you come to church on Sunday, but pursuing righteousness is a daily purpose of your heart. Number one, here here are some keys about pursuing righteousness. I've got two keys. Number one, you have to pursue the knowledge of God. If you're going to pursue righteousness, you must pursue the knowledge of God daily. That means we get in the word daily. We have a special time of communion and fellowship with the Lord, just like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. We're no different. To pursue the Lord or to pursue righteousness is to pursue the knowledge of God and to pursue understanding the character of Christ and godly humility. If you're going to pursue righteousness, you're going to have to humble yourself before the Lord. You humble yourself and you say, Father, what I think is right may not be right at all. I think I'm doing the right thing, but if I'm doing the wrong thing, please teach me righteousness. I'm telling you, it takes humility to receive the knowledge of God's righteousness. When we spend time in the presence of God in worship, You know, just get up in the morning, greet the Lord. I say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving me. And I just spend some some moments thanking him, appreciating him, loving back to him, telling him, I love you, Lord and so on and so forth. You begin to worship. I may sing a song. Now, I do it quietly. I'm not going to wake up Davies and Tina with loud singing in the morning. Or or there's a song I I put on and I, I listen to and rejoice in. So spend time in the presence of God. This is how we pursue righteousness. You have to pursue the knowledge of God. 
And so you have a time every day with the Lord where you worship him and you read his word. Myself, when I go to the word, it can take me a long time to get through a few verses or a chapter because I read, I pray. I read, I make a note. And so, you know, it's not something I run through and say, all right, I've done my daily reading. I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. No, no, I'm not doing it out of like some kind of duty and I'm going to score points with the Lord. I'm doing it because my pursuit in life is to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection working in me. And I want to be conformed to his image. Even in death. Hallelujah. So, how do we pursue God? This, this has to become a priority. Pursuit of righteousness brings favor in your life. How do we do this? We worship. We become true worshipers. We worship God in spirit and truth. We're not showing off for anybody. We just want real worship. And we go to the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When you read the Word, you are face-to-face with God Himself. So if you are pursuing righteousness, you must pursue the knowledge of God and His character. Spend time in worship and the Word. And then here's a major key. That's number one. That cannot be replaced There is no greater priority than knowing God. But close to it is number two that I'm going to tell you right now. This is way close to it. In fact, if Elder Francis was standing right here, that would be number one. Number two would be shoulder to shoulder. Very close to it. Number two, submit your will to his will. Submit your will to his will. This is a mark of maturity. When you no longer insist on your own way and your own will. Submit your will to his will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed when he was struggling. He was having a, a, such a struggle knowing that he was facing the cross when the sin of all men, all sin, all the curse would be coming upon him as he hung on the cross. And in Matthew twenty six thirty nine, he was struggling with what he was facing. And it says he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my father. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but thy will be done. Church, if you don't get to that point where you can pray that prayer freely, even daily, no matter what you're facing, 
you're not walking in righteousness. He prayed that three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times could indicate spirit, soul, and body were submitted to the will of God. His whole spirit, soul, and body. He prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. Church, let me boldly say, you cannot be mature in the righteousness of God without doing this. Learning to submit your will to God's will. Matthew 6.10 in the New King James says, I pray this most every day. I'm not going to say every day, but I pray it frequently. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Church, I often pray, Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done in my heart, even as it is in heaven. Make that a consistent practice of submitting your will to his will. In the Passion Translation, it says, this is still Matthew 6.10, manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be filled on earth just as it is fulfilled in heaven. And what does that tell us? The purposes of God are not going to be filled in your life and my life unless we submit our will to his will. The purposes of God will not be fulfilled where there is self-will. And church, when you do this, when you make knowing God your priority, you humble yourself before him, you submit your will to his will, you're pursuing righteousness, you'll begin to walk and live in righteousness. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And there is great reward when you do this. When you submit your life to the righteousness of God, to that which is right in God's sight. How do I know what's right in God's sight? Well, he sent his word to heal us. To deliver us out of all of our destruction. He sent his word to be our light. Church, when we agree with the word, we're agreeing with righteousness. Hallelujah. There is great reward. Everyone say great reward. Who doesn't want great reward? Church, there is great reward for uh, submitting our lives to the righteousness of God. Listen to Revelation 3 and verse 31. This is so amazing. I don't even know what it means, but Revelation 3 and verse 31. I didn't give you that one? Sorry. Oh, I must have left it out when I sent them the scripture. Well, listen. We didn't used to have this, so just listen. Revelation 3 And verse 31 says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me 
on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Church, what a promise. To him who overcomes, overcomes what? Overcomes sin. What are you struggling with in your life? I'll tell you, this motivates me. I hope it motivates you. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Church, I wonder what in the world that would look like to be seated with Christ on his throne as I also overcame. What did Jesus do? He was tempted with everything, every temptation, every temptation such as is common to man. Jesus was tempted with every temptation, yet he overcame and sat down with his father on his throne. Church, that's so glorious. I don't even have words to say what it would be like to be seated with Christ on his throne in heaven. But this is the reward for those who overcome through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever say, Pastor, I'm just too weak. You know, I'm just weak. I've had so many problems. It's just worn me out. I'm as weak as water. Uh, It just seems like I can't resist anything. No, don't ever say that. You've received the free gift of righteousness. How does the free gift of righteousness work? Through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. So we can't ever say, oh, I'm so weak. I'm so broken down. I'm so pitiful. Everyone needs to feel sorrow and pity for me. No, we're not pitiful. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Church, here's your reward. Never forget Revelation 3.31. Let's read it together. Read it with faith. Ready? To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I mean, that's a glorious mystery. I can't tell you all about it today, but I just know I don't want to miss it, and I know you don't want to miss it. Jesus is saying that as you and I overcome sin in this life by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own goodness, but by the free gift of righteousness that is within us, there is great reward in eternity, both now and in eternity for doing so. Colossians 3 and verse 1, and I'm closing. I know I've said that three times, but I really am. (laughs) Colossians 3 and verse 1 in the Passion Translation. Now notice... This is so powerful. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. 
See, we're already, we already can experience the resurrection power. The first time we experienced it is when we were born again. That was by the resurrection power of God that we were born again. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. So I don't know so much about overcoming and sitting with Christ on his throne. But this tells me something about sitting with Christ on his throne. It's the place of all power. It's the place of honor. And it's the place of authority. For those who learn to live their lives through the free gift of righteousness, I'm telling you, there is great power, great honor, and great authority that is even manifested in this life and in the life to come. And then let's go, well, let me read. I've already read Philippians 3.10, but let me read it again. Just we show you we've come full circle. Philippians 3.10 in the Passion Translation. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully. Just take this scripture, church, and pray it. Begin to use this scripture in prayer. And just put yourself there. And I, Carla, continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully. And to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings. And I will be one with him in his death. And this is my very last scripture. Okay? This is the last one. Romans 8 and verse 1. If I'm living in this free gift of righteousness, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did I tell you to do that in the living? It's okay. So, when we receive the free gift of righteousness, there is therefore now no condemnation. Remember, the first thing Adam and Eve experienced was shame. All of those feelings of dishonor, guilt, condemnation, you feel like a failure. I don't know if that's true for anyone in here today. You may have been experiencing failure after failure after failure, making mistake after mistake after mistake. It just seems like you fall flat on your face more than you stand on your feet. But I'm telling you, there is resurrection power available for you. And it comes through receiving the free gift of righteousness. God loves you today. He has a wonderful, surpassing life planned for you. And I want you to stand up right now. And Elder Francis, you can come. I'm going to give this to you in just a moment, but please come up here. 
Tina, I want you to come as well. And we want to pray for you earnestly. This is not like a, just a prayer. I am believing for so much anointing and power to be released to you. Tina, I want you to pray first of all for those who live under a dark cloud and always have a feeling of, of failure, a feeling of shame, just every day, a, a feeling of condemnation like nothing is right in my life and everything I do, it doesn't seem to work out. That originates from that shame that Adam and Eve experienced after they disobeyed God. So, Tina, would you step forth, please? And Church, I want us all to lift our hands. It's very easy for that original shame that was released on mankind. Until the power of it is broken, you may be blaming yourself and shaming yourself on a daily basis. But we're going to pray today for you to be set free. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the work of righteousness in our lives. We again acknowledge that we are indeed the redeemed of the Lord. Christ has delivered us from all unrighteousness. We stand forgiven. We stand righteous in your presence just like we had never sinned before. Your word says, as far as east is from the west, so have you removed our transgressions and you remember it no more. Because you remember it no more, we choose by the Holy Spirit to stand in this place and refuse every accusing word. Father, we numb the effect of voices of condemnation from our past, be it from parents, be it from teachers, be it from people that we trusted. We numb the effect of that on account of the blood. We speak the blood of Jesus and the mercy of God over each negative word, over each negative thought that lingered even when we came into Christ. Even after we were born again, we may have had stumbling moments and the devil has kept speaking over and over again that we would not make it. We refuse devil we know you are the one who will not make it we have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of his test of of the testimony that we speak right now that we are redeemed we are forgiven we stand righteous in the presence of the lord father we thank you for clothing us with your righteousness hallelujah we thank you we receive 
forgiveness. Yes. And even right now, if there are any areas, we say, Lord, search our hearts. Yes. Search every aspect of our spirit, of our soul, of our bodies. Anything that has come through generations in our lineages. Father, we say it stops right now. We are the family of God. We are in the kingdom of God, the children of God, the ones he has chosen. So we stand chosen, forgiven, loved in the name of Jesus and we accept. Lord, we accept who we are in you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We thank you for this position. We thank you. We thank you. We lift up thanksgiving. And now our desire is forever to be thankful, but that we are not who we have been defined, who the devil has made us to think we are, but we are all that the word says we are in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, uh, something Tina prayed, search me. You said, search me. That's in Psalm 139 and verse 23 and 4. I don't know if we can get it up there. But this is a wonderful prayer to pray. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. And church, if we find a wicked way, which inevitably we will, we're still being delivered from the power of sin, then we can pray. Now, lead me in the way everlasting. Hallelujah. This is a wonderful prayer. I want you to lift your hands again. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over anxious thoughts, fearful thoughts, over shame and condemnation. We do bind it in the name of Jesus and we cast it out. We resist it in the name of Jesus, all those fears and anxious thoughts and foreboding and dread of the future, we bind that. We bind the weapons of the enemy formed against us. We bind the lies of the evil one and we cast you from the people of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And we release the power of righteousness over your people. You have made us by your own will the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Church, if you're tempted in some area of your life, I want to give you something very important to begin to confess in the face of your weakness. I don't know what your weakness may be. It, it may 
be having to do with drugs or or immorality or lying. I mean, there are many works of the flesh that an individual can be trapped in. But if you catch yourself telling a lie, just begin to confess this. First of all, repent of it and then say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I believe, God, that I will be a truthful person from this time forward. Just in the face of where you've been missing it, where you've been stumbling, where you've been failing, begin to speak into that area of your life, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What are you doing? You're trusting in the resurrection power to change you. Hallelujah.